Good morning. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. What happened in a Kentucky grand jury room that led to no officers being charged with killing Breonna Taylor? That's the question at the top of today's show. That grand jury indicted just one of the three officers who opened fire the night that Taylor died and charged him with endangering her neighbors. Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron announced the decision last week. My role as special prosecutor in this case is to set aside everything in pursuit of the truth. My job is to present the facts to the grand jury, and the grand jury then applies those facts to the law. But did the grand jury really get all the facts? This week, one of the 12 grand jury members filed a motion saying the attorney general did not accurately represent grand jury proceedings. That juror requested records of the jury's deliberations be made public, and a judge accepted this motion and ordered prosecutors to release the recordings. According to NBC, this is an exceptionally rare move. The juror is remaining anonymous, but the juror's lawyer spoke to the press on Tuesday. My client's concern is making sure that there's the appropriate information for the public as a whole to see what's going on, to make their own decisions on what happened. The concern is truth and transparency. That's the best thing I can tell you right now. Today, we want to talk about how grand juries work and what you should understand about their decisions. As NBC explains, grand juries are a relic of America's very first criminal justice system. They were created to prevent the government from prosecuting citizens on baseless charges. The right to a grand jury indictment is actually in the Bill of Rights, but the Supreme Court ruled states are not required to use them. Now, about half of states in the country require a grand jury to be used for certain crimes. Kentucky is one of these states. A grand jury is made up of ordinary citizens, but their function is different than if you were a juror in a trial. A grand jury's job is not to determine if someone is guilty or innocent. All a grand jury is tasked with doing is determining whether the prosecution has a, quote, probable cause to charge someone. But here's the thing. Prosecutors control the grand jury process. There are no judges involved. There's no defense lawyers. Prosecutors alone choose the evidence and what charges they want to present to the jury. They also explain the law to jurors. So everything the jurors know, the options available to them, that all comes from prosecutors. There's a saying in legal circles that using a grand jury, prosecutors can indict a ham sandwich, which means when you control so much of the process, you can get any charge you want to get. And just to be clear, grand jurors don't need to be unanimous to bring charges. In Kentucky, 9 out of 12 jurors need to agree that's it. In Brianna Taylor's case, it was only after this anonymous juror came forward that Daniel Cameron admitted he hadn't asked the grand jury to seek murder charges against those officers. Cameron is now pushing back on this idea that he used the grand jury to produce favorable outcomes for the officers involved in Taylor's killing. Here he is in an interview on Tuesday with WDRB-TV in Kentucky. If we wanted to hide, we wouldn't have even presented information related to their conduct that evening. A circuit court judge recently ruled Cameron has until noon on Friday to release the full 20-hour recording, meaning soon we may be able to see for ourselves if the case was presented accurately and fairly to the grand jury.
For most people, it's free to vote. Yet, in Florida, there's a group of people who, because they have criminal records, have to pay fines before they can vote. And that could impact the race for the White House. Florida is a key battleground state, but Florida's victor typically wins by a very slim margin. In 2016, Donald Trump won the state by just 113,000 votes. And this is why there's so much attention on the 1.4 million people in Florida who have been convicted of crimes and completed their sentences. The Wall Street Journal has this analysis. And to catch you up on the timeline here, because the rules have changed a couple of times, two years ago, people in Florida voted in favor of restoring voting rights for people who have felony convictions and have completed their sentences. But the Republican-majority state legislature has been trying to block that referendum. Last year, it passed a law saying people in this situation can only vote if they pay off all fines and fees first. And that law was challenged in court, which ruled in favor of restoring voting rights. But then, just a few weeks ago, a federal appeals court reversed that decision, meaning the state law stands and people with felony records are going to have to pay their fines and fees if they want to vote in this election. Researchers at Georgetown University Law Center were able to identify a group of about 14,000 people with felony records, and they found the majority of them still owe money, close to 70%. Now, extrapolating that to the total number of people in Florida with convictions, advocates are saying the number of people who may not be able to vote in this election because they can't afford to pay those fees is likely in the hundreds of thousands. Which is why some wealthy donors have stepped in here. Michael Bloomberg raised $16 million to help people in Florida with felony convictions pay off any financial obligations. Now, last week, Florida's attorney general called for state and federal authorities to investigate Bloomberg's donation as a possible violation of election laws, claiming that it incentivizes a group of people to vote. With all these changes to the rules, the Wall Street Journal reports, there's a lot of confusion. Some people who are eligible may not know it. Others are afraid to register because they're not sure if they have outstanding debts tied to their sentences. And it's actually pretty hard to find out if you're on the hook for unpaid fees or fines. There's no central database that tells you what you owe. And time is running out. The Florida voter registration deadline is Monday. Election sites are going to be short-staffed this year because poll workers tend to be older folks over 60 years old, and that's the demographic most at risk for contracting COVID-19. So they need folks. If you want to help out, The Cut has details about how you can become a poll worker. Yeah, there have been a lot of articles written about the shortage of poll workers, but The Cut has one of the most comprehensive ones that we've seen about what the job actually entails. Now, every district is different, but generally, poll workers check in voters on Election Day. They help collect and tabulate the ballots and process absentee ballots. For example, if your machine isn't working, a poll worker will step in to help you figure out what to do. Their job is to make sure everything runs smoothly. Requirements vary by state, but some places are allowing high schoolers to sign up. And yes, if you do this, you will get paid. In L.A., you get about $175 for the day. In New York City, you may earn as much as $2,800 for working 10 days. And if you're wondering what kind of time commitment am I really signing up for here, it is a long day of work. But people who've done it in the past told The Cut it's gratifying. It's a day you'll never forget. If you're interested, The Cut says you better jump on it now. Deadlines are coming up quick. Check out our show notes page for a link to their article. 
Let's take a breather from the race for the White House and turn to another election of sorts. The fat bear competition. <laughs> CNN explains this is an annual competition held by a national park in Alaska. In March Madness style, it pits the largest bears up against each other through a series of brackets. And this is not a body shaming thing. This is a good thing. We're about to approach hibernation season. So brown bears will be eating up to 90 pounds of food a day. Brown bears in Alaska are some of the largest in the world and can weigh between 600 and 900 pounds. Now, this competition evaluates which bears make the biggest body transformations in advance of the winter. The good news is you don't have to be an expert in bear fat to vote here. Anyone can cast a ballot online this week, and a winner will be declared next week. Now, last year's winner was a bear named Holly. Alaska's Katmai National Park and Preserve wrote about Holly, quote, she is fat, she is fabulous, long live the queen of corpulence. Mm, I need a friend like that. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. We'll talk with you again tomorrow.